0: Good evening, this is Justin Ford in the studio for From the Frontline. Tonight we are dealing with understanding the roots of terrorism and the crisis in the Middle East. In the studio with me is Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder of Frontline Fellowship, who has been involved in serving persecuted Christians for over 40 years in 38 countries. Dr. Hammond, can you please tell us what is happening in the Middle East today?
1: Well, we've all seen and heard of the terrible atrocities, the Hamas terrorist assaults on Israel, On the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War in 1973, another great intelligence failure where somehow or another uh, Israeli Defense Force was caught unsuspecting and uh, here you had these terrorist assaults coming across the border. Some horrific incursions where they were wiping out whole kibbutzes, in one case beheading babies, killing 20 babies in the nursery, um, coming into a rock concert. In fact, this one It was a trance concert, which means people were actually in uh, days of drugs and they were dancing around a huge Buddha statue in the Negev Desert. And uh, within just a few miles of uh, Palestine, of the um, Gaza Strip, and in came these uh, motorized paragliders. And you can see the videos of the people oblivious to anything around with the paragliders above them visible. And only when the bullets started landing around them did some of these people come out of their drugged or drunken stupor start to flee most of them unsuccessfully 260 people killed at this trance rock festival in the negev desert that's just one of the atrocities and there was so many attacks on in many cases it looked like children women and old people were being particularly targeted and uh, it was obviously designed to provoke a reaction if not horrific reaction especially as the hamas terrorists were filming themselves doing many of these atrocities posting it on social media, especially of them taking Jewish or Israeli hostages across the border into uh, Gaza, which could only be because they wanted um, Israeli defense force to come after them, and therefore ground offensive. I mean, how else are you going to get out hostages? So uh, it was basically an open invitation to come and invade uh, the Gaza Strip, which you can just see this was done like all terrorism, for armed propaganda to shock and to intimidate, but also to provoke reaction, if not overreaction.
0: How could the Hamas terrorists cause so much destruction and loss of life in such a short space of time? Was there a failure in military intelligence? How could Israel have been caught so unprepared?
1: Well, it's obviously a failure in military intelligence, but the extraordinary thing is, how could it happen twice in the same country at the same time? Yom Kippur War in 1973 was chosen at a time that Israel would be distracted with their holiest day of the year, the Yom Kippur Day of Atonement, where they are completely shut down. It's sort of like Easter or Good Friday in a Christian land where everything's shut down. There's absolutely no movement. Therefore, they had the lowest military mobilization of any time, the lowest alertness. But having said all that, there are a number of interesting reports that have come through that it was not that much of a surprise. Egyptian intelligence, military intelligence from Egypt, warned Israel twice uh, in the days running up to this that an imminent attack was coming from Hamas, and uh, then there were even from American intelligence, this was reported on both the New York Times and CNN, uh, that uh, in fact, uh, American military intelligence warned Israel a number of times in the run-up that there's an imminent attack coming from Hamas, massive escalation of attacks, and so The IDF did get warnings, but they ignored it. And now something else has come out that we saw on uh, um, uh, Breitbart News that there was uh, an order that came from Prime Minister Netanyahu to the Israeli Defense Force to stand down. Now, apparently, according to some people within Israel, including rabbis, an order came from the Prime Minister's office for the Israeli Defense Force to stand down in the face of this massive terrorist attack So that's extremely suspicious. And then there's another report that just came out today where it was uh, under um, banned news uh, where they were claiming that this is like a Pearl Harbor which the Israeli government wanted to happen in order to, first of all, mobilize uh, the whole country behind the plans that they'd already made to wipe out the Hamas threat and that they wanted a certain amount of atrocities to take place, maybe not to this extent, but it looks, according to this article, they're saying it's very much like the Pearl Harbor attack which the U.S. government provoked and wanted and uh, ignored all the warnings and the, the intelligence reported that. And we know this is now true. It's come out again and again how Pearl Harbor, uh, the government of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, knew about it, wanted it, provoked it, had broken the Japanese purple codes. They had the, the interpretation of the uh, diplomatic ciphers, they knew the declaration war was coming, they knew about the attack on Pearl Harbor even, and uh, that they deliberately did not pass on a warning to the commanders on the site because they wanted maximum amounts of loss of life in order to uni- unify the country in this unpopular war that they were wanting to get the population involved in. So uh, this is another theory that's been put out there that what you're seeing is is maybe not such a failure in military intelligence, but a political decision to ignore the military intelligence. Um, therefore, um, perhaps they were deliberately unprepared. That's a theory.
0: And what would inspire such callous brutality and atrocities from my side?
1: Well, it seems demonic. I would say, obviously, there's a lot of hatred, there's a lot of malice, a lot of bitterness, and their propaganda has demonized the enemy, so they seem to justify even atrocities against women, children, aged people, even beheading babies. That's got to be pretty demonic. No normal human being would do that. But it shows the power of propaganda and the power of fanaticism where you can whip people up. But we should not ignore the fact that it is the intention of terrorism to shock, to intimidate, and to provoke reaction, if not overreaction. Remember the whole theories of Marx, Hegelian dialectic thesis, antithesis, synthesis. To get what you want, you need to provoke something in order to get a reaction and the result of that will be what you actually wanted. So whether it is that you're going to provoke such a reaction that you're going to get more propaganda benefit. You can see what's going on now as I was travelling back from Natal last week there's protests all over Natal and Durban on the front page of newspapers about people standing up protesting against Israel for fighting back against Hamas in Gaza. And of course, there is a lot of collateral damage and bombing of civilians, but these protests were completely ignoring what Hamas had done. Hamas had deliberately provoked atrocities, but that's what terrorism does. Terrorism is always designed to provoke a reaction. And uh, when Special Operations Executive was launched in Britain in 1940 by Winston Churchill, Prime Minister of Britain, he gave the directive, set Europe ablaze. I mean, even when it was peace and absolutely no problems at all going on within Bohemia or in France or Denmark or Norway, provoke reaction, um, undermine the the, uh, relationships between the local populations and the occupying enemy that we are seeking to fight. And therefore they wanted atrocities and they wanted counter-atrocities and they wanted to provoke extreme reactions that they could use for propaganda and that they believed all this would help their war effort. At the time, the general running um, Special Operations Executive, SAE in Britain, um, he said he modeled SAE's tactics on the Irish Republican Army's terrorism that he had seen during the Irish War of Independence. And so British Special Operations Executive, SAE in the Second World War, deliberately modeled their actions on one of the worst terrorist organizations in history, the Irish Republican Army. And... That is why so many British military leaders during Second World War said, what we're doing is morally indefensible, militarily counterproductive. This isn't going to contribute at all to military victory. It's not in any way affecting the results of the war in a positive end. But it's going to inspire our own people that we are ruling all over the world to do countermeasures against us like this. And a historian uh, in Britain, um, uh, Keegan, he looked at this and said, Britain has besmirched itself with SOE because these terrorist tactics are going to be inspiring other terrorists around the world. And historically, the Marxist and Muslim jihadist terrorists, even Hamas, have been inspired by the British SOE and the American OSS terrorism during the Second World War when they used assassination, sabotage, and some of the most uh, brutal kinds of actions in order to provoke uh, counter-reaction. But... um, Therefore, we've got to look and think the brutality and the atrocities are the very nature of terrorism. It's designed to inspire uh, countermeasures which they think will help them to get more propaganda benefit from their side. It's like a person at school who provokes, 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 bullies, 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 and then when you finally lash out, suddenly they start crying that you know you assaulted them. And uh, meanwhile, that was the whole intention. They wanted you to, to react. And uh, so the brutality and the atrocities are obviously demonic, but they also are strategic.
0: Well, relating to the strategic comment, who is funding Hamas and where do they get their weapons from?
1: Now, this is super interesting. You would have noticed that President Joe Biden almost immediately came on TV saying, we have Israel's back. And in fact, he has sent an American aircraft carrier group, the H- Gerald Ford, into the eastern Mediterranean, which has the potential of getting out of control and escalating the conflict very quickly. You just think of how the Gulf of Tonkin instantly led to America being involved in the Vietnam War and all of the rest of it. Um, uh, For that matter, the American-Spanish War of 1898 was inspired by the um, USS Maine going into Havana Harbour and then it was actually blown up by its own side in order to provoke a war with Spain, which enabled America to seize Philippines and Puerto Rico and Cuba and Guantanamo Bay and so much more. And uh, so America has sent in this carrier group in the Eastern Mediterranean. They are apparently mobilizing 2,000 American troops to go into Israel right now, which is only going to escalate the whole thing. But um, it's also true that the United States of America are funding those who are funding the Hamas terrorists. U.S. President Joe Biden released $6 billion to Iran, and Iran has supplied $1.8 billion to Hamas. So America is funding Iran, and Iran is funding Hamas. And then other American allies like Qatar. Qatar is supplying $20 million a month, each month, to Hamas. And then you've got to consider Turkey. A US ally and NATO member Turkey very much supports Hamas. And just thinking of Iran's support of Hamas, bear in mind that China is the biggest supporter of Iran. Red China, the Communist Party of China, has purchased one. And a half million barrels of oil per day from Iran. So, Iran is the biggest supply of oil for uh, for China, and China, of course, therefore, is the biggest funder of Iran. And Iran has already gotten eighty billion dollars revenue from oil sales. Eighty billion—that's a lot of money—and uh, most of that coming from China. So, China is supporting Hamas. The Chinese president or dictator recently met with the head of Hamas and. Uh, called it one of the most important strategic alliances that China has. So I think that is super significant that what you've got is a lot of um, people out there being funded by America and China who are actually supporting Iran. So America can say we're giving $3.8 billion a year of high-tech weaponry to Israel. That's true, and a whole lot of other kinds of foreign aid. In fact, America gives more foreign aid to Israel than it gives to all other countries combined. It's also true that the state of Israel, even though it's only existed since 1948, has received more foreign aid than all other countries in the world combined. So that's one thing, but they are support on the other side too. And you wonder, what is it about America that they feel they've got to support both sides of every war? So you've got Iran is definitely supporting Hamas, including with trainers. Iranian advisors are helping to train the Hamas fighters. Well, I prefer the word terrorist, but they want to call them fighters as well. I suppose they do fight, um, although they murder as well. And Hamas has 30,000 jihadist terrorists, an arsenal of 7,000 rockets, and 300 anti-tank missiles, a lot of which actually come from from China and Iran. So you can see who's involved in this war, and I think it's extremely significant that Iran and Red China are the biggest funders and supporters of Hamas.
0: Is there a danger that this conflict could escalate into a wider war in the region or globally?
1: Very much so, because you've got so many different groups involved already. You've got the Iranians definitely involved. Um, What's also a strong possibility is Hezbollah, who is based in um, Lebanon, could easily invade. Maybe they are just waiting for Israel to start a ground offensive into Gaza, and then Israel may be facing a two-front war just like that. Hezbollah is even better equipped than Hamas. They've got more rockets, they've got guided missiles, they've got a whole lot of things on their side that uh, Hamas doesn't have either. Hamas has not been known to be very sophisticated up till now. And so this attack has the fingerprint of some far more sophisticated group behind it, which is probably Iran, at least that's the way it's being understood. And uh, with America sending troops into the region, mobilizing troops and sending a carrier group into the region, that could easily escalate into wider conflict, especially as Israel is apparently considering attacking Syria and Russia is already on Syria's side very clearly. And uh, Syria is secular. Syria doesn't have a dog in this fight at the moment. But Syria has been targeted by America and by Israel for quite a while and and Russia is definitely on their side. So you've got red China firmly locked in with Iran and you have um, America firmly locked in with Israel. So this could easily broaden into a bigger war. What's also disturbing is a document that's come to light of the Communist Party of China, CCP, making a statement some years ago, and more recently this year too, that in order to defeat America, they need to get America involved in a forefront war. And one of those enemies they need to fight is a, is a terrorist group. So if they can get America involved in a war against Russia, for example, which America almost is, certainly through proxy and Ukraine, um, if they can get them involved in a war with, say, are on as well, and with Hamas, uh, then maybe China can feel that they can invade Taiwan because America would then be distracted on three other fronts. I don't know if they're looking for America to get involved in even another war in addition to that before uh, China and Taiwan begin to punch up. But you can see this could easily escalate into wider war, and you've got Red China really saying that when a country is fighting, the best way is to distract them with, with a two-front war. And so... For example, when America had uh, a threat of Soviet Union and Germany, they chose to fight only Germany and to rather align with Soviet Union. And, of course, that was disastrous. But once you start getting them distracted into several wars, it's harder to focus and you divide their forces. So, again, the Sun Tzu motives and what CCP has said, they're involved in total war with America, and that includes economic war uses includes using viruses and pandemics, uh, but it also needs to, and they're also doing drugs. The Communist Party, uh, military intelligence of Red China is actually overseeing the drug smuggling into the United States of America. And just like the Soviet Union, KGB, and the head of military intelligence of Cuba used to run all the drug smuggling into America, now Red China is doing it. If you want to defeat a country, you erode them from the inside if you can. And of course, drugs... Killing your military-aged men as drug addicts is definitely undermining their ability to fight. But distracting them into a forefront war uh, is a goal of Red China. So maybe America is stepping into a trap here. Perhaps this is deliberately planned.
0: Hmm. And how are Christians to respond to terrorism, Dr. Hammond?
1: Well, obviously we've got to oppose it because it's completely unacceptable to ever target terrorists uh, to ever target uh, civilians, and uh, to defeat terrorism, communism, the first thing we've got to do is stop funding those who are funding terrorists. We've got to uh, stop helping those who are um, supporting the terrorists. We must not cooperate with the terrorists in any sense. We must not pander to their demands. We must not uh, give in to their gender. We've got to resist them on every level. So, the first thing when it comes to fighting uh, communism and terrorism is to make sure that we are not destabilizing or undermining those who are resisting communism and terrorism. Just think how America has done that uh, through the, through history. Um, historically, by joining forces with Stalin's Soviet Union in waging warfare uh, against the two greatest opponents to communism and terrorism in history, Germany and Japan, uh, what America and Britain did was actually remove the two biggest obstacles to the expansion of communism and the Soviet Union on the western side was Germany, on the eastern side was Japan. And the main uh, force stopping communism taking over China was Japan. And by destroying Japan and Germany, who coincidentally didn't have Rothschild banks, which completely coincidental, I'm sure. Nevertheless, um, what they did was they also deliberately betrayed nationalist China in the hands of Mao Zedong's People's Liberation Army, who destroyed Red China. But then in addition to that, the western allies at Yalta, that's... Churchill and FDR, along with Stalin, betrayed Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Poland, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Romania, Yugoslavia, Albania, into the hands of the Marxist revolutionary terrorists. And then the betrayal of the Shah of Iran into the hands of the Ayatollah Khomeini's radical Islamic crazies, the revolutionaries who are now using Iran. Iran used to be an ally of the West. It used to be a force for peace and moderation in the Middle East. Destabilizing and betraying this stable Democracy in the Middle East, um, the Shahs are on. And putting it in the hands of the most radical Islamic terrorist groups like the Iranian uh, Khomeini's uh, revolutionaries was insane. And we haven't seen the end of this yet. But the American state wanted more than that. They betrayed Batista's Cuba into the hands of Castro's communists. They betrayed Nicaragua, another American ally, into the hands of the Sandinista communists. Rhodesia, where I grew up, was betrayed into the hands of Mugabe's red Chinese-backed Marxists are new thugs, the betrayal of South Africa into the hands of Mandela's ANC terrorists, the targeting of Saddam Hussein's Iraq, Gaddafi's Libya, Mubarak's Egypt, Assad's Syria. In each case, the result was a far worse regime, greatly increased suffering, mass deaths, escalating terrorist threats and attacks. So historically, with the destabilizing collapse or overthrow of these anti-communist or anti-terrorist states, who are resisting communism and all resisting Islamic terrorism, the cause of international communism or Islamic jihad has accelerated. And numbers of terrorist attacks in the West have exponentially increased. And what we are seeing is a lot of Western activity that funds those who support terrorism and sanctions and wages war against those who resist terrorism. And obviously, that's the worst thing we can do. We've got to start having a policy of armed resistance. And uh, the best example for that would be uh, Switzerland. Switzerland is an example of an armed citizenry providing an effective deterrent to attack. Armed citizens save lives. Terrorists prefer unarmed victims. Ensuring that the general citizenry have the right and freedom to obtain firearms and training will do more to end sporadic acts of terrorism than anything else. When a high percentage of the country is armed, trained, and ready to resist, terrorism must fail. Terrorists are violent criminals and they cowardly bullies, and they tend to flee when they meet determined resistance, such as at the St. James Church massacre on 25th of July 1993 in Cape Town, where one of our missionaries was armed and stopped the attack and forced the terrorists to flee by resisting. And that was one armed person in a congregation of 1,500 who fired back and saved the lives of countless amounts of people by making a stand. So if you want peace, you must prepare for war. And uh, the dooms of King Alfred and Magna Carta of 1215 and the English Bill of Rights of 1689, they all guarantee the right of all free men to keep and bear arms for self-defense. And if we would stand by these historic rights and restore them, then we would see terrorism not working very well. If you have an armed citizenry, then terrorism cannot succeed. The scripture says in Nehemiah 4.14, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. So that's a Christian response: is don't support terrorism, don't support those who help terrorism, don't support the ideologies or the religions that support terrorism, and stop attacking those who are resisting terrorism. Hmm.
0: Um, Dr. Hammond, you've worked in war-torn areas and interacted with terrorists in various conflicts. Um, How 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 would that? What have you learned from that? And how would that uh, color your response to this event?
1: Yes, for over 40 years as a missionary, working in 38 countries and um, being involved in eight wars and three revolutions as a missionary, I've concentrated on serving the persecuted churches and evangelizing in conflict areas. So during this time, I've been exposed to Marxist and Muslim terrorist groups and I've engaged them in discussion and debate and argument, including in mosques and terrorist bases and on their radio programs. I've been on some terrorist radio stations and uh, terrorist supporting groups. And I've been in the homes of some of these people. From my observations, terrorists are motivated by fanatical hatred, intense rage, deep-seated anger, as well as the prometic prospect and hope of attaining political power through terrorist tactics. They're also motivated by greed, perceived opportunities for revenge and looting, and a lust for power, and frequently they're also motivated by ignorance, especially ignorance of history. Now, some of them will quote from the writings of Karl Marx or Vladimir Lenin or from Mao Zedong, or even Voltaire, or Rousseau or Robespierre for some kind of philosophical support for their violent tactics and revolutionary aims. And Muslims will quote from the Quran and from the Hadith of Muhammad as their authoritative foundation and inspiration for their jihad. I've interacted with some Irish Republican advocates of terrorists, and I've noticed that they evidence a mixture of Catholicism and communism in their deranged thinking, which justify bombing military and civilian targets, and crippling Catholic apostates for collaboration with the enemy by kneecapping. Kneecapping is particularly obnoxious, like the necklace murders were used by the ANC and South Africa to intimidate their supporters to toe the line. The IRA used kneecapping for Irish Catholics who did not cooperate with them or who compromised or collaborated with the enemy. So, for example, a girl who dated a Ulster Republican, uh, Irish, should uh, say, Ulster Royal Constabulary, or um, a British soldier, they could get their knees drilled out or shot to cripple him for life. And this is how uh, the um, uh, Catholic IRA would deal with their apostates or collaborators. So obviously people must understand the enemy and what motivates them. And uh, I found I needed to understand Islamic jihad or I need to understand communism uh, in order to understand what is motivating these people.
0: And what can we do to understand and undermine terrorism, especially in the Cape, in South Africa, where we have a mix of uh, population?
1: Well, um, I've written a book, Slavery, Terrorism and Islam, The Historic Roots and Contemporary Threat, to help people understand Islam. And uh, our book, Frontline Behind the Reliance for Class, also helps us to understand uh, the communist terrorists. In fact, I've got quite a few conversations and enlightening interactions with communist terrorists in the book to help people to understand what was motivating Swapo, the ANC, and other communists. I've dealt with the people behind Iron Curtain, the man who interrogated me in um, Mishava's security prison in Maputo, who started off by saying, I am the devil. I'm not only a Marxist and a Leninist, I'm a Stalinist. I studied in Czechoslovakia. To, the interaction of this man to turn and said what made him tick and what was motivating these people. Um, so I have put that in our book, Behind Enemy Lines for Christ, to help people to understand Uh, We've also written a book, uh, "Security and Survival Handbook," so that we can understand what we can practically do to resist terrorism or to make ourselves a harder target, uh, to protect our churches, to protect our missions and our homes, and make them uh, our farms uh, from being targets. To make harder targets, so we're less likely to be um, uh, chosen as a selected as a soft target. So. uh, these are some resources a person can use to understand and undermine terrorism. If we understand communism and understand Islam, those are the two main um, motivations quoted by terrorists as their inspiration. I don't think they've been consistent with with everything in Islam when they come out with a lot of these teachings. Uh, but jihad is definitely um, a view that many Muslims hold to and which um, has been quoted as the highly Motivation of groups like Hamas and Hezbollah while they are murdering um, people who are civilians.
0: What needs to be done to defeat terrorism, Dr. Hammond?
1: My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. So the first thing is to be informed. We need to understand the history of terrorism. We need to understand the ideology of those who are motivating it. And then we need to look at those examples where we were able to beat them. And there are some examples of uh, successful. Um, campaigns against terrorism. So, for example, when I look at um, uh, Chile, uh, there was uh, Pinochet, General Pinochet, who saw immediately that um, terrorism is nothing other than armed propaganda. So he deprived the terrorists of publicity. He put military in charge of the radios and TVs and editors, and you'd walk in and see there's a colonel as the editor of this magazine, there's a Journalists as sergeants and so on. And uh, without media coverage, terrorism in Chile died. Just like a fire deprived of oxygen must die, they need publicity. So they, the communists in Chile could derail a train, it didn't make the news. And so after a while, the terrorism died out because they got no publicity. In the Malayan emergency in the 1950s, the British and Commonwealth forces, which included the Rhodesian Sea Squadron, um, enlisted the help of the local population offering generous rewards for information leading to the capture of these gangsters or terrorists who were disturbing the peace. And those who handed in terrorist weapons, whether you're talking about machine guns or grenades or mines, they received very generous cash payouts. This is how the West was tamed, by putting a price or a bounty on the head of, of outlaws. And then you privatize the law enforcement that everybody who's inspired to get some money um, uh, can help in bringing about peace to the country, which works out cheaper than training all these professionals that you need in order to do it. So the bounties helped, and then they created protected villages to remove the support that insurgents have demanded from the locals. So by separating the water from the fish, the insurgency no died out. Uh, Mao Tung said, "An insurgent is like a fish, and the population is like the water. And so the insurgent needs the local population to remain undetected and and to be supported." And therefore, protected villages was an effective way of removing the support uh, that the villagers may be intimidated to give from the terrorists. Now, in order to uh, defeat terrorism, we of course stop supporting those who are supporting terrorists, which would be a good beginning, and we stop fighting those who are fighting terrorism. And we, like they did in Betraying Rhodesia, that would definitely help. To defeat terrorism, you've got to know your enemy. Our people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. You've got to be armed, trained, and resist. Like Switzerland that doesn't have an army, Switzerland is an army. And the whole population is armed and ready. And that is a very daunting task for any terrorist. When you've got a well-informed and a well-armed citizenry, they cannot succeed.
0: Where can we learn more about terrorism, its roots and causes, and how we can best counter and undermine terrorism?
1: Well, if you go to the Henry Morton Stanley School of Christian Journalism website, you'll see that there's an article on Understanding Terrorism and How It Can Be Defeated, which has got audio-visual links of lectures I've given on this very subject at the Reformation Society. So, Understanding Terrorism and How It Can de- Be Defeated is available on our Frontline Mission, essay.org website, on our sermon audio link and on our Vimeo page. You can see it as, as videos or you can listen to it as an audio lecture. Um, you can also read the whole article on Henry Morton Stanley or HMS School of Christian org. And uh, I would recommend you get hold of the book Slavery, Terrorism, Islam, Faith and the Fine Sudan, and uh, the Security and Survival Handbook. These things would help. And our book, Frontline Behind Any Lines for Christ, gives a behind the lines look at how communism works, how terrorism works, how Islam works, and how one can defeat them. Hmm. Yes, it's kind of intriguing that we are seeing a lot of people, like in our country, even government leaders, ANC leaders, wearing Palestinian scarves and being involved in the, the marches. Now, it's one thing to be concerned for Palestinian civilians, but to be showing the support the time that Hamas is the official elected representative and leaders of Palestine. They are the municipal authorities, effectively. They're the ones collecting taxes. Hamas collects $27 million Dollars in taxes from the people in Palestine each month. So that's really a deep concern that if people want to wear the colors of this terrorist group and want to be able to identify with it, what about the context? Can we um, express concern for the population on the ground um, without expressing support for the terrorists who have brought this disaster amongst them? Because bear in mind, the Hamas leadership do not live in... uh, Palestine. In fact, the top Hamas le- leadership are living in great luxury in Turkey and Qatar. They're not suffering the consequence for the irresponsible practices like the common people of Gaza do. And the, the Hamas started this conflict. Israel is determined to finish this conflict and the Gazans are going to pay a high price for the provocative atrocities of Hamas. They're caught in the middle uh, as are the ordinary people of Israel and Palestine. They, they're caught in the middle and Brother Andrew of God's smuggler fame made the point uh, some years ago that after he the after Berlin Wall came down, he redirected a lot of his attention to the Middle East and particularly to the Palestinians. He personally he made the observation that um, the worst thing you can be in the world today is a Palestinian Christian. They get persecuted by the Muslims for being Christian. They get persecuted by Israel for being Chris, being Palestinian. And the Christians in the West won't support them because they don't want to be called anti-Semitic. So a Christian Palestinian is really caught in the middle and is being... a caught up as collateral damage in in this hideous conflict. So one does need to be concerned and pray for them. But I don't see how anyone can justify identifying with Hamas and the terrorist group that's committed such hideous atrocities. Rape, murder, killing civilians, old people, women and children, beheading babies. How can this ever be justified? And so um, there's something radically wrong with people who want to just take one side and be concerned about one set of victims and not... Uh, all the other people involved. This did not just come out of a vacuum. This happened in a context. And so, again, while you can't only condemn the person who reacts and not the bully who started and provoked it, I think we should also make a comment that some people have said that one's never seen such atrocities before. Well, I'm sorry to say that we have. The Soviet Union's atrocities that they did in Europe as they occupied Germany and uh, Austria and other parts of Europe were every bit as bad and worse. What the terrorists did in the Congo, for example, Simbas, to the missionaries and local people, what the Mau Mau terrorists did to farmers in Kenya, what ZANU-PF communist terrorists did in Rhodesia to farmers and their wives and children, and what EFF supporting expropriation and compensation Marxist-racist in South Africa doing to white Afrikaans boer farmers right now in this country is every bit as bad and worse. They've done every kind of atrocity. What Hamas has done is hideous and must be condemned. But unfortunately, it's not that unique. And I'm glad that some people are standing up and speaking out against that, and as they should speak against all terrorism. But where's the sympathy for other victims of terrorism? It seems that if you're a white South African Afrikaans farmer, you don't deserve any sympathy at all. And they're doing atrocities very much like what Hamas just did to Israelis, uh, to uh, people in South Africa for no other reason and they've got the wrong skin color and the wrong cultural background or language. Uh,
0: Dr. Hammond, thank you very much for providing a deeper context into a very complex situation, um, providing some nuance so that we can understand what's going on and we can observe uh, the unfolding events with a greater understanding. Um, in closing, I would like to read from Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16-19. to 19. These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to Him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Thank you very much for joining us for From the Frontline. God bless and good night.